Welcome to one of my favorite juiciest conversations about relationships with my dear friend and former coach, Natalie Kennedy. If you don't know Natalie, she is amazing, funny, brilliant, and so insightful. And I personally learned so much from her, and that's why I wanted to have her on the show. We talk about sex. We talk about what if your partner doesn't want to do the work. We talk about getting your needs met in relationships, so many cool concepts, and I cannot wait for you to hear all of this. So let's dive in. Welcome to Deep Within. On this show, we dive deep into the nervous system, emotional healing, and transformation from within the body. When I started my personal development journey, it was all in the mind, doing affirmations, visualizations, listening to endless motivational videos. And I found that this approach without actually getting my body on board only left me in deeper shame and distress. So this is actually how I discovered somatic body-based healing. My name is Marina Yanai Triner, and I am the Compassionate Somatic Coach. I am gentle, sensitive, and I love deep conversations. I am so, so, so excited and so glad you're here so we can feel like we're together in our own little bubble of deep talks. Hello, my beautiful Natalie. I'm so excited to chat with you. Um, and I'm so excited for everybody to get to know you in case they don't, which I don't know how that's possible. But my first question is just like, tell us, tell us your story. How did you get to be talking about relationships? Like, why is it important to you and all of that good stuff? Yeah. Thank you. For, thank you for having me on. And for those of you that are investing your time to listen to a stranger, thank you for trusting me. Um, I hope that you get a lot out of this and um, thank you to you, Marina, for just giving me a, a stage, <laughs> I guess. Um, yeah, so I, I'm a, I fundamentally call myself a meditation teacher um, who specializes in mindfulness and partnership. A lot of people might know me as some as a relationship anxiety coach. So my background was, um, I have two yoga certifications and then I kind of specialized into the meditation dimension. I did Vipassana and all of these things. Um, and even though I kind of considered myself spiritual at that time, I, I really had not been initiated into like the darker parts of spirituality. Um, and there came a point when with my um, partner, who's now my husband, we've been together for almost 12 years, but there was a point in our relationship, um, maybe years four through seven or something like that, um, a four-year period where I had just really fallen out of love and... Um, and I just, I had so many doubts about the relationship and I had one foot in, one foot out. And I thought it was just that we were mismatched and not a good fit for one another. But every time I tried to leave, I would go into hysterics. <laughs> and, um, you know, that's, that's common of, of a breakup, but for whatever reason, I couldn't bring myself to do it. And, um, uh, my poor husband fortunately stuck around and were better than ever, but it took me going on a soul searching trip, um, to Austria. And I met my, my now teacher, Steffi Price. I have many teachers, but like, she is the one I hold on a very high pedestal. Um, although she's just a human, just like me, but I just have so much reverence for her. And she taught me some, I came to her because I had relationship anxiety, but what I quickly discovered was I had issues that were much bigger than relationship anxiety, and that relationship anxiety was actually the symptom of the issue, not the real issue. When I came to Steffi, she had no idea what relationship anxiety was. She was like, I don't know. <laughs> Just you look really lost in life in general. <laughs> and uh, she taught me some exercises that deepened my existing practice. Um, thanks to all the tools I already had, I was able to devour them very quickly and I remember after a couple weeks of doing a lot of the practices she had taught me, I remember having a moment where I transitioned into a deeper state of consciousness. I remember it very specifically. It wasn't like a clouds parting lightning moment. 
it was just a realization that I could see things much clearer. And from that place, it became extremely easy to make decisions, including relational decisions, because all of a sudden I had self-trust that I didn't have before. And I remember calling my husband that day, or my, my then boyfriend at the day, that day, and saying, I'm so sorry that I have been so wishy-washy for the last five years. And just letting you know that I'm done, I'm ready to be a married woman. And understandably, he was very um, suspicious, <laughs> but I held very firm to that. And a couple, of, little under two years later, he proposed, we got married, and then the real work started. <laughs> it's like, at first I had to commit to a mediocre relationship and say, okay, I'm here. And, but once I stop being on the fence, you can actually get messy and start doing something about it. Um, yeah, whereas you can't do anything from the fence. You can't make your relationship better from the fence. So, um, you know, to people who are listening to my story who maybe were in the same position that, as I was, uh, they could have left their relationship and I wouldn't judge them for a second because it was total shit. But for whatever reason, I stayed. And I'm actually really, in hindsight, so glad I did. And I just want people to know that that's a possibility where if your relationship totally sucks and you're questioning it, um, there's some people that will say you should leave and I would not disagree with them. But I just want to say that there's another possibility out there where you go all in and discover who you are through partnership and my husband and I are more in love than we've ever been. It's crazy. I love him more than I did when we first met. And I had that when you know, you know feeling when we first met. So, but then like four years, four to seven or whatever, I did not know. I was like, I thought I knew, but I actually didn't know. And now I know again. And it's not a knowing of uh, that we're a perfect fit. It's just a knowing that I'm going to be okay, regardless of what happens. I hope we succeed, but if we don't, I'll be okay too. So we have we have um, an unimaginable spiritual deep connection. We've been through so much, and um, I was just very surprised that during COVID, when I started to share our story, how many people flooded to my account, and it turned into a career. And I was very surprised and humbled. So that is, I guess, how I got here. I'm not surprised at all. So I will share that I was lucky enough to force Natalie to be my coach. <laughs> um, I think during COVID, we were not forced. It was very consensual. I was like, Natalie, if you don't coach me, I will force you. <laughs> <laughs> well, the force was not needed. It was genuine joy. <laughs> it was amazing. It changed my relationship so much for the better. And then I also go to a retreat and you met Steffi also. Oh my gosh, also incredible. Actually, Thomas's birthday was on Sunday. I forgot to tell you, but um, we had him like we did like a ceremony for him, our friends and all, and we had him kind of recount his favorite moments of the year, and the retreat was one of them. So, yeah, it was so nice. Um, so yes, I just love your work so much, and I'm not surprised that so many people get so much from it so my question is i know that like throughout a relationship the types of challenges that we have like sort of change and so i'm curious for you to share like your greatest challenge maybe around that four to seven year mark and and now like what do your challenges with present look like now yeah um the irony is so here's the number one question I get from my clients and people that submit questions. They say, do I just have relationship anxiety? I forgot to mention also the source of a lot of my anxiety around relationships. Um, I had a lot of relational trauma. So I had a bunch of divorces in my family and I thought I wasn't cut out for it. So that got projected into my now relationship. I thought I need to not get a divorce and the way to not get a divorce is to make sure I find someone perfect and shit, this one is not perfect. I need to make him perfect so that I feel good about my decision, which resulted in all sorts of craziness. So when, when I came out about my story, I was saying a lot of the issues in the relationship had nothing to do with Preston. Um, it was my fear of divorce that 
needed to be addressed. And ultimately, if you go, if you dig under that, you'll find that there's still unresolved grief, unresolved anger, unresolved resentment towards my parents that was getting directed at him at Preston. So the hardest part, I think, for a lot of people is discerning whether this is a trauma issue or a relationship issue. Is this my trauma coming up or do we actually have an incompatibility? This is like the number one question I get. And when I had that expanding of consciousness um, moment at Steffi's house many years ago, I understood that it was both and. And it's not like, do you have relationship anxiety and that's 100% of the problem? Or do you have a relationship problem and that's 100% of the problem? I say these two things feed each other. You probably have some genuine issues in the relationship. I did. To commit to it meant saying I settled for a little while. Uh, my relationship was genuinely dissatisfying. And there was a weird twisted empowerment in still choosing it. Because I... Um, I felt I wasn't done here. I felt like there was more to learn. I felt that there was still stuff on my side of the street that I had not cleaned up. And so I could not be pointing fingers while that was still unclean. So I went to work. And the hard part was doing the work while Preston seemingly was not. And I know a lot of people, especially women who are in partnerships with, with masculine beings, find this very challenging. I think women tend to, especially if you're dating someone of similar age, maybe. I think women are just, we start out, we're a bit ahead in terms of maturity. This is my perception. Um, and so if you're dating a guy that's the same age, you know, you might be waiting a little while <laughs> before they catch up. Um, and that can be really painful. And this is often why I think women choose older men, because a lot of times they've already done the work. So if you're dating a man, you know, obviously I'm making generalizations here, but if you're dating someone who just doesn't seem to be doing the work, you know, it could be that they're not at that age where that naturally comes yet. Um, so my husband right now, he's uh, three years older than I am. And I'm just sitting back watching him discovering things that I discovered like seven years ago. <laughs> and he's like, oh, my God, I have anger towards my parents. And I was like, dude, I was there like eight years ago. <laughs> But I don't, I don't say anything. I'm like, that's, that's great. It's great that you're noticing that. And I just leave him be. But eight years ago, I was trying to have him be at the same timeline as me. And that was very painful. Um, I felt very alone. And it's like he could never really see me because he wasn't there in his own journey yet. And so um, I was very resentful, very angry, trying to get him to do the work, which just made him more resistant to doing the work. And there had to come a point where I really completely detached from his process. And that was so challenging. So, and as for right now, we're, we're really great. Um, I think, ah, I'm very grateful to say like, we have challenges, but they are mundane day to day. Um, I think one of the things we maybe struggle with is, is polarity sometimes, which is like attraction. I mean, we've, we've seen each other so much, um, but we both kind of know how to do how, what to do. We just have to actually do it. You know what I mean? Um, I have to look nice. He has to look nice. We need to not get too comfortable and leave the, the bathroom door open when we're peeing. Like we got to remember to maintain a little bit of distance so that our arrows can have a little bit the fire can have a little oxygen which is hard because you're cute and cozy and you want to be mushy and you want to open your whole heart to them but it kind of ruins the sex so like putting on a show and putting on a performance and being that girl that you fell in love with that's probably the hardest part because everything in you just wants to be so cute but it doesn't do much in the name of of sex so i guess that's the hardest part is um, pulling back in the name of loving seduction so that you have a good sex life. That's probably the hardest part. But if that's my problem, I'm happy with it because at least I know how to do it, whereas before I had no idea. Does that make sense? Absolutely. The only thing is you just covered like five of my questions. So I'm like, sorry. Like, which one should I ask that? Okay, but I'm going to go in the order that I wrote them down because it all comes together. So... Okay, you talked about this question, and I know I had it so much. 
where I was like, is he triggering me or is he like a horrible person? And like this relationship is is bad, right? Or is it just my trigger? And there comes the famous Natalie quote, two things can be true. So, um, so I'll just share, you know, my experience was, yeah, that like kind of both are true. It's like, we kind of find the perfect person to trigger. And it, it was so mind blowing because my partner and my dad are so different on the surface. Like if you meet them, you're like, they're nothing alike. And everybody would say that, but underneath that, and it's actually fascinating because they have almost one-to-one human design literally like like all the things like almost one-to-one it's freaky and they're so different but their trauma responses are very similar and those are the things that would trigger me and so yes I found that my overreaction to things that Tomil does comes from my triggers but then there are things that bother me and so what I found is like I need to process that you know, in the moment or like a day later and like kind of take space so that I'm not a bitch and then come to him and say like really calmly with an open heart, this is what bothers me and talk to him about it. Because if I'm just like, you, you know, that never works. So can you share a bit more for people who are kind of wondering, like, should I leave this relationship? what's going on, I feel stuck, and this concept, which is not only like relational, two things can be true. I think it's a brilliant concept. Oh, thank you. Um, and I, I very much relate, actually. I was, I'm surprised to hear that uh, on the surface, Tomara and your dad are so different, but if you like go down into a V-shape and you find like the core, they're actually very similar. Actually, my husband and my father have like polar opposite political beliefs and they are so different but also yes they have they're driven by the same things they just go for that thing in different ways it's shocking when I realized it too it's like I thought I picked the polar opposite of my dad but actually (laughs) we we pick our dads for a myriad of reasons I'm not gonna go into on this episode but I also want to point out that Um, I love the statement, two things are true, and I love that you brought it up. And I want to just clarify that that actually is not my statement, but a lot of people think it is. And it makes me sad because the person who actually said it never gets acknowledged and I try to name it. So I got that statement from um, actually a parenting therapist, and her name is Dr. Becky. Um, And I think think it's the account Dr. Becky at Good Inside. And she actually used it. She uses it to validate like children and their feelings. And so she'll be like, two things are true. You're upset and we're still leaving the park. And you're like, we're leaving the park and you're allowed to be upset about it. Two things are true. And I was just thinking, man, this is not just applicable to kids. This is applicable to humans. So I, I guess I borrowed it and I tried to, whenever I have an opening, I say, it's Dr. Becky that came up with it, not me, but I use it a lot. Um, so to answer your question as someone who's in a difficult place, um, I think a lot of times we're looking for a right answer that may or may not be there. Now, I'm not counting things like abuse um, and neglect and things like this, although even the word neglect can be subjective. I've certainly been neglected in my relationship, and I've also done the neglecting. So... It's, it's tough to say. And if you suspect that you're dealing with some kind of malicious intent or abuse, uh, I'm probably not the person you should listen to because that, this is going to feel like a gaslight to you. But assuming you've got a run-of-the-mill person who is kind and loving, it's just susceptible to taking you for granted and treating you poorly in those instances. Um, when If that's the case, a lot of times we're trying to find a clear-cut right answer. And we think that the right answer means it's that, that the decision is going to feel good, which sends us into a spiral of confusion because both decisions don't feel good. Staying doesn't feel good. Leaving doesn't feel good. And so it seems like a lose-lose. Both decisions feel shitty. And when that happens, I look for the common denominator, which is it's time to feel shitty. <laughs> it doesn't matter what you do. You've, the, the thing that matters most now is, is feeling your emotions because chances are life wants you to feel this right now. And, and you're taking a very, you're making it very heady and thinking it, it's about making the right decision when 
if the decision's not obvious like that, then it's about feeling the emotion. And then once you get to the other side of the emotion and you're clear, the, the decision will become more obvious to you. The second piece is my, um, my opinion is that do what you can to get happy regardless of what your partner is or isn't doing. And if the relationship is worth it, the relationship should improve as you get better. So if you tend to be codependent and focusing on your partner for your happiness, um, figure out how to get happy without them, without necessarily breaking up. So you kind of need to go into a bit of a single mindset. It's like, okay, if I'm if my partner can't make me happy right now, what do I need to do to make sure I'm happy regardless? And it's going to require the mindset of a breakup, and it is. There will be a grieving process for that. But ideally, if you're in a loving, healthy relationship, as you improve, the relationship should improve. If the relationship gets way worse, that's not a good sign. If your partner deliberately tries to undermine your um, self-care and tells you that you you shouldn't go to the gym or you shouldn't take care of yourself or you, tries to isolate you from your friends and family, things that should bring you joy, I might worry that you're in an abusive relationship. So ideally, if you work on your stuff and clean up your side of the street, the relationship should improve. Um, but you have no way of knowing that while you're focusing on your your partner's side of the street. So that's kind of my my perspective on that. Hopefully I didn't answer 10 questions in this one question. Again, <laughs> yeah, but it's fine. Um, I love that answer so much. Um, last April, I went, it was like, like a breakdown point in my relationship. And I went away um, to San Diego and it, I just started to like grieve so much. It's just like all this grief came up that I was hiding with work, just working, 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 like addicted to work. And I realized, oh my God. It's because I had like all this grief that I didn't want to touch. And once it all came out, I became so clear. And I was able to say to my partner from like the most loving space, it wasn't like a triggered space, you know, I kind of became clear that I want to stay in the relationship if and only if we would work on it together. And that meant like we each look at our triggers and it's on the table that we can say, hey, you're being triggered, like, take a look. And so I was able to say that. I was able to ask and and inside myself be like, okay, if he says no, I'm going to receive it and I'm going to leave because this is like more important to me than to stay. And that was kind of a breaking up that codependence, you know, like I'm going to stay no matter what. No, I have like values that are important to me. And so when I asked him, I was like, I want you to think about it. It's a real question. It's not a rhetorical question. Like, are you willing to look at your triggers? Is that something you're actually willing to do? It's hard. It's going to be a daily thing, you know? And he's like, yeah. I was like, no, 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 no. Like, go think about it. For real, think about it. And thank God he said yes. And now, you know, it's it was really like a, a new sort of wedding. Like a new kind of like vows, you know? <laughs> yes. And so, yeah. So that's the process we are in. And it gives me so much comfort to my nervous system, even when things are really hard to know that. We are committed to that and I can feel that we are both committed to that. So that's really amazing. And it's a lot, a lot, a lot thanks to you. So I'm giving you that credit. It's true. So, oh, so many questions. Okay. One thing I love that you talk about that you really introduced me to is around needs. And you kind of talked about it a little. Like what happens when your needs are not being met in the relationship and you feel like, well, this person is not giving me like connection, intimacy, whatever it is, like these things that I really need. What do you do? <laughs> Such a hard question. Um, by the way, I could see before I answer that when I saw you guys at the retreat, I very much could see that you guys were both committed to working on yourselves. And it was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. I was so inspired. So Thank you. you are a walking testament. You both are. It's really incredible. Um, okay. So when our partner's not meeting our needs, this is a really difficult thing to answer. And I will answer it knowing that there's still things not answered, but we have, it's something you could just do a whole podcast on this. So it's one answer won't do it justice, but I think there's in partnership, we 
have to find this delicate balance between figuring out if we need to have this need met right now in this moment um, or if maybe um, we can wait for it to be met at a different time or maybe in a different way or both. So, and the other thing we also need to learn is how to sit in the void of not having. Um, and believe it or not, I believe that there can be pleasure in not having. Um, and that's not intended as a gaslight to like deal with it. It's, it requires a certain humility and it also requires you to enjoy the process of longing especially as a woman, we have literally a vagina built into our bodies, which is a void in itself. So we are longing creatures, longing to be filled. And emptiness is something very difficult for people to sit with. But um, I don't know about you, but, you know, maybe there was a time when in your, especially in the beginning of your relationship with Tomer, where you longed for him and you missed him. Did you feel any pleasure in the missing? And then when you stopped missing him, did you miss the missing? Yeah, like the mystery. I really love the mystery. And even when I go away and we don't talk for a week or something, it's the best, the best. And when when, I, when we come home, you know, like after a week of not speaking. Ah, right. So there is pleasure in not having. And if you look at it from that perspective, it can be really empowering. Now, I don't mean torture yourself if you're if, you know, just see, maybe there's a pocket of pleasure in your not having this right now. Maybe there's a pocket of pleasure in the waiting or in the trusting that it's going to come in its own time, its own way. And being humble enough to be like, I'm not going to die right now. <laughs> I've just been rejected. That's all. <laughs> like, I haven't yet had a client die of rejection. <laughs> so <laughs> it's something, rejection is something we need to get comfortable with. And also it's worth looking at, you know, how is your partner responding to your statement of um, having a need. And I have had my husband say, you know, I really want you to have that need met. I want, I love you and I, I want that for you. I don't have the capacity right now to meet you there. And just having him acknowledge that is enough for me. Um, where it really sucks is if they respond with too bad, so sad, tough tits. You know, but if they're like, I want that for you and I'm sad that I can't be that person for you right now, um, maybe later. And sometimes it's maybe not ever. And if that's the case, you know, you can decide if that's something you're willing to tolerate in the relationship. Some people are, some people aren't, there's no right or wrong. Um, and then sometimes you can, some people will decide to get their needs met elsewhere by other people. And depending on your relational agreements, that may or may not be okay. Um, some people decide to do it ethically. Some people decide to do it unethically. Um, I don't judge. I prefer things are done ethically. I just know that if you do it unethically, it will blow up in your face. And if you're okay with that, then so be it. <laughs> so I don't, I don't really, I, I prefer things are done with integrity, but I also know I will be the first to say I've done things in shady ways and it always blows up in my face. Uh, that's just how life works. And you don't have to say right or wrong. Life will decide for you if it's right or wrong. So that's kind of my my answer, I guess. I love that. Uh, my example of that was uh, the need for connection. Like I have such a strong need for connection. And oftentimes my partner really doesn't have the capacity for it. And that's where, you know, it really helps me to know this, that I can go to my friends, like I can go to my girlfriends and have all this amazing like intimacy and be like really filled up. And then there's sometimes there comes points where I'm like, okay, I really need it in the relationship. And then we kind of address what's in the way. But I, I really feel like when you go meet it somewhere else, then you're not so desperate. Like you're not coming in with this like desperate energy. I need you to help me with this. And you're like three years old, like mommy, please. It's not sexy. It's not inspiring. Not <laughs> sexy. Which brings me to what are the best conversations that we had was I remember one day when you said, okay, do you want to stay in this relationship? Yes or no? And I said, yes. 
you're like, okay, then you have to deal with your stuff. And I was like, what stuff? I don't have any stuff. You're like, you're a controlling bitch. <laughs> I did not say that. <laughs> you did it. You totally did it. But I don't mean, well, I said it about myself. Anyway, control <laughs> is such a big issue. I think that women have, and I think there's a lot of generational trauma to that. Because it's like so common for women to feel like they need to be in control. But I definitely know that that was a huge issue for me. And it was really hard to break. It was a really hard to break habit. And you helped me with duct tape. Um, <laughs> so any tips you have for people out there? I mean, men too. Like anybody that feels like they need to control their relationship and it's like, out of control and it's bad and they need to break that habit uh, control is my favorite topic ever um because it's so insidious and sometimes we don't even realize we're being controlling we think we're being helpful um and duct tape is a technique i learned from laura doyle she's another relationship coach that i respect um so the solution is not easy but it is simple um in order to stop controlling, you need to have the willingness to feel the emotions that come up if you were to stop that behavior. So a lot of us who go into controlling behavior do so because we're afraid of what would happen if we didn't. So do you have any examples of that? If I don't tell him to do X, Y, Z, this bad thing is going to happen. Yeah, of course. I think there is fear on the surface, like a lot of fear of he's going to die. For example, like he's going to die. But underneath, I feel like for me, it's there's always sort of a mix of loneliness and, and sadness, like very deep sadness. Yes. And the fear can be a feeling that sadness too. Um, very much so. So my fear was um, if I don't teach him how to do things in the house, he's going to A, ruin things. Uh, things in the household are going to go to shit. Um, I will have to clean up after him. Um, I won't respect him. I won't want to have sex with him. Uh, he'll never learn. People will judge him and therefore me, all these things. And there needs to be a willingness um, to experience those things in the name of preserving the intimacy and giving the relationship a chance, giving the other person a chance to figure things out for themselves and grow up if they haven't yet. Um, fortunately, my husband has like seriously grown up and it's awesome, but it's it's like so easy to want to fuck him now because <laughs> he just he just understands. Um, but it took a long time. He's he's in his mid 30s now. So but when he was we, we met we met when I was 19 and he was 22, he didn't know how to do things. Um, so part of it was that like I had to feel the grief of realizing that I did not pick this perfect person. I picked someone flawed. And realizing that not controlling them meant I was just going to sit back and watch things burn for a little while if I wasn't stepping in. And for a little while, that's what happened. A bunch of balls got dropped. Um, and I just sat back and was like, yep, I'm not cleaning this up. This was all on you. And it took a while for him to straighten himself up and grow up and... In, in the process, he respected me a lot more and I respected him more. Um, the other thing, and this is like the shadow side of this discussion that I haven't even really started to talk about. So you're kind of one of the first things, first um, people to hear about it. Um, like a little bitchy side of me has erupted in the last five months or so. And I'm realizing that um, women, I don't know about, I can't speak for sure for men and women, but... Um, I speak a lot on heterosexual relationships, not because I think they're superior, by no means, but because they're the ones I have experience with. I'm not going to speak on behalf of a gay couple because I don't, I haven't been in that. But I've, I'm a woman and in a relationship with a man. And so that's what I speak on. Um, and after working with hundreds of clients, I see the same patterns. And I'm like, yeah, girl, I went through that too. <laughs> yeah, we're dating the same guy. <laughs> And I just see the same patterns over and over and over and over. And it makes me feel confident enough to make generalizations, knowing that there's always exceptions. Um, but I believe that in a heterosexual relationship between men and women, the man is the head of the house, sure. 
I love that. I love having someone else be the head of the house because I like being in my feelings and I don't like making decisions all day. I do that in my business enough. When I'm not working, I want someone else to be in control. It's exhausting to be in control all the time. Um, so man is the head of the household. I love that. But the woman is the woman is the neck. And so what? <laughs> she's turning the head. <laughs> so you, what I've discovered is that even though I've let go of control, in the shadows, I'm still controlling everything because my man loves me and I'm the one that's the void, a.k.a. I'm the one with the longing, a.k.a. I'm the one with the desires. And so my desires drive this relationship. And even though I'm not the primary decision maker at the end of the day, the fact that I have desires and he loves me means my desires are his desires. So I end up making the decisions in the background. And I think a smart woman can figure out that she actually is the one in control but she can't act like it <laughs> so it's kind of like if you're smart you'll figure out a way to get your needs met without being a bitch about it like you'll you'll have all the ideas but you'll let him think they're his ideas then I know that's not politically correct to say, but I have discovered it to be true for my relationship. And we are so happy, Marina. I'm ecstatic because I get everything I want. He's ecstatic because he feels like the man of the house, but I planted all the seeds in his head and made them think they were his. Is that manipulation? It fucking is. But we're both happy. So is it wrong? I don't know. And I don't know what to do with this information. I'm just saying it and letting you guys do what you want with it. And I see you laughing. So I'm glad that... It well, I'm laughing because you're fine. And also, yeah, I don't know the way I, I notice that works is maybe kind of like, yeah, Thomas really loves it for instance, when I love his food, right? Like he loves it so much. And I'm like, what are you doing today? Does it involve a banana and chocolate? <laughs> is that kind of a plan? You know, because I I just really love your banana bread. Okay, I'm gonna go work, and then and then you know, two hours later, I come in the kitchen, and he's like, "What is that smell, Marina?" And I'm like, "I don't know." <laughs> you guys are so playful. Yeah, the play, like I find, is so helpful to the relationship. And when I'm like, "No, oh, I love blah blah blah," he's like, "Oh, you know," rather than like. Are you gonna make me banana bread? You you didn't. I can't believe you didn't. That's so offensive. Like I'm so upset. Well, that is like the that's word. very entitled. It sounds. Sometimes I'm entitled. Yes. <laughs> me too. Yes, we're very similar. Um, I think with entitlement, there's two types of entitlement. It's not just like entitlement is bad. It's like mm, what kind of entitlement is it? Is it? Is it demanding entitlement where there's punishment if you don't get what you want? Or is it a playful entitlement? I just sent my husband three wish lists for Christmas. Three. One for Amazon, one for Etsy, and one for this other website. <laughs> and he was like, woman, you sent me. There's like hundreds of things on each of these wish lists. Or sorry, not hundreds. But like, there's so many items you want. How many things do you want? I was like, yeah, I want a lot of things. I want makeup. I want hair products. I want clothes. I want food. I want tea. I want accessories. And he's like, jeez. And then he was so like doting and sweet to me all day. It's, you know, when I sent it, I was, there was a little part of me that's like, is he going to think I'm a gold digger? <laughs> I was like, I just wanted to see what happens because so much of relationship, especially if you've been in a long-term relationship for a long time and you just want to change things up sometimes. And I was like, okay, let's, let's try on the gold digger outfit for a day. Like, what happens if I set him three wish lists? Because I have three. And I, I was like, should I be humble and only send him the Amazon one? Or should I just be like that that bitch that, that sends three different giant wish lists? And he responded with humor. And, you know, it's not like he's going to buy me everything on all those wish lists. But just he was so... I got the sense that he was enamored with my audacity and he has been buying me more gifts than ever before because I have been shameless about my desire without the 
punishing energy that comes with not getting what I want. And that's why, you know, I come back to that point that I made earlier, which is you need to be okay with not having your needs met sometimes. It's so important. It's a very humble perspective. It's like, you know, I'm not free. I'm not going to throw a tantrum when I don't get the cookie that I want. Yeah, and I think that's really like the core of the healing, though, because those needs that we are so desperate about, like, it was really interesting as the war in Israel-Palestine broke out, I was like starving for empathy and Tommy would just be very heady and he'll be like, this is what should happen. This is what we need to do in the region. And I was like, I'm so sad. And he'll be like, let's talk about what should be done. And so it was like a perfect trauma reaction because I was dying for empathy because I didn't receive it a lot as a child. So that was like where the need was coming from. And he also has his own things with empathy. So it kind of was like two puzzle pieces perfectly matched together and we were able to work through it uh which was so great and you know it's that entitlement i feel like you said it's like that three-year-old who's like little and helpless but we are not we are now adults and we can actually you could use those three lists and buy yourself you know whatever you want right but it's less fun so it's like like doing it with fun and joy and the energy behind it where it's not like, give it this to me or I'm going to break up with you or whatever it may be. I think it makes a huge difference. And before we wrap up, I think you've been hinting at this a lot, but do you have any tips for sex? I know this is like a new sort of exploration, new-ish exploration within your business and like your offering. So I'm curious if you have tips for sex in a relationship that is long-term and also with yourself. Yeah, I do. Um, uh, whole podcast right here. I'll keep it short. Um, question what you thought about sex, really, because so much messaging today is true in one context and not true in another. Uh, this might trigger some people, and I apologize in advance, and if it does not resonate, please throw it the fuck out. I'm just sharing something that has worked for me. Um, there used to be a time where, in the name of authenticity, if I wasn't feeling up for it, I wouldn't do it. Um, but I've actually discovered that doing it when I don't feel like it has resulted in more intimacy. Um, it took me a while to realize that what love is, like what, uh, how do I say this? He needs sex like I need love. And that's like how he communicates with me. And I did not respect that for the longest time. And now I do. And I'm realizing like this is how he connects. And every time he has sex with me, it's not him using my body, which is how I interpreted it. And I thought it was just a receptacle for his imp sexual impulses. But now I see it as his attempt to connect with me through his body and not be a heady creature like he is in all of the other areas of his life. It's like his primal way of communicating with me. And now that I see it that way, I'm so appreciative when he initiates, even if I'm not feeling up for it. And so um, I respond to that. And I, I guess we could say I put out. And it, surprisingly, a lot of the times I find that um, it, I warm up to it. And afterwards, I'm so grateful that I did it. And I leave, you know, I fall asleep feeling invigorated and I wake up refreshed. Um, and the plus side of that is I noticed that, you know, my, my husband knows when I'm not feeling up for it and I enthusiastically respond anyway, but you know what he does in response to that? He shows up when he doesn't feel like it. So if I'm having a bad day, he might not feel like being super empathetic, but he does because that's his equivalent of showing up when he doesn't feel like it. And when both people are showing up when they don't feel like it, the relationship blossoms. So he it's it's been very powerful shift for me to uh, and you know i don't do it every single time if i'm really sick or something i i'd be like honey not tonight but that happens very rarely and usually if i'm sick my husband won't even bother he'll be like you leave her alone but if i'm okay and i'm just tired i'll i'll go for it um the other thing is a lot of times um i would recommend slowing down and men out there or women if you're watching porn I would encourage you to take a look at how you're utilizing it. I don't think porn is bad in and of itself. It's kind of like alcohol. It's like, how are you using it? 
Um, if your sex life is not doing well, guys, and your woman's not super into you or she's not into sex, see if you're watching a lot of porn because I can literally notice my husband used to watch porn a lot but doesn't really anymore but once in a while he succumbs and i can literally tell when he watches porn just based on his energy shift and i'm like you watched porn last night and he's like i did how did you know and i was like your energy it's different and it's like your energy is leaky and sick and unsexy and you don't look at women the same way after you do it and your what your partner's going to feel it so that would be a big one um women we <laughs> We can have also we have a clitoris which is designed for pleasure and so we can have orgasm after orgasm after orgasm and our sexual energy builds by having more sexual experiences men they actually have to harness it and control it a little bit and that creates a powerful sexual g center inside of them so um, and when they when they release it through ejaculation they lose a lot of energy and she, your woman gains it <laughs> and ideally you can you can um have a cyclical thing that goes on between you two and one thing also with porn and not just porn but just the relationship people have with like social media and their work being very fast paced um great sex doesn't do well with super fast paced um if you think you're not doing enough in the bedroom you're probably actually doing too much uh, good sex does well with lingers. I I can get wet just from a linger that lasts a little longer than I was expecting. And it'll catch me off guard and I'll just melt. So you might be surprised at what happens when you surprise your partner by just hanging out in the tension a little longer. And the last tip I'm going to make, and there's a bajillion tips, but I could keep going all day, is... um. This is another thing about anti-authenticity. I love authenticity. And if I were totally authentic in my relationship, I would wear sweatpants and I would never do my makeup and I would never do my hair and I would just eat cookies all day and I would not work. And if my husband were totally authentic, he would be playing video games all day. He'd probably watch porn and um, <laughs> he would just like eat all day and do nothing. You know, if that's authenticity, I don't want it. And um, a little effort goes a long way. I started putting more effort into my appearance. I started putting on makeup. I started doing my hair. I started buying nice clothes. I threw out all my frumpy stuff. And my husband started going to the gym, making sure I look good and feel good. When you're at your best, as if you're going to see your high school crush that day, um, your partner's newsflash, they're going to be more attracted to you. So sometimes it is about putting on a costume in the name of good sex um, so that there is something to desire, so that there is something to uncover. There's something to discover about your person. Um, if you're just bloody, letting it hang out all the time, not putting any effort into your appearance, not playing hard to get once in a while, uh, if you're always together and you never do anything separately, you're never going to long for each other. So create that space. Don't forget to be that person that your partner fell in love with. And that will, just those few things will, will change a lot. These tips are so, so good. Yeah, I love them. I love them. I'm like, Tommy, we should listen to this podcast. It was so good. <laughs> oh, wait, it was mine. <laughs> oh, that's right. I make really good podcasts. <laughs> so my husband edits my own podcasts. And it's like perfect because I can play it off. Like I'm sending all these tips to my audience, but like I know he hears them. But like I don't, you know how I said the husband is the head, but the woman is the neck? I don't have to tell him what to do. I tell my audience what to do, but he hears it. He edits it. It's perfect. Perfect. <laughs> That's so good. One thing that helps me, and I think you and I have talked about this, is being with my friends or talking about sex with my girlfriends. Girlfriends. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. Very helpful. Oh, this is so good. Oh, my God. I feel like people are going to get so much out of this. And last question, how can people work with you? Yay. Uh, yeah, right. It comes and goes. I go through phases. Um, the main thing I have coming up is um, a program, a group program for women um, called Both Feed In. And I actually ran it a couple years ago but I'm running it again but it's going to be a more abridged version so it's for women who um are have maybe one foot in one foot out and they're questioning their relationship 
and they want to know what they can do on their side of the street to see if their relationship can be better and then it will be easier to make a decision about the relationship um, it's also about processing your emotions that are kind of fogging up your vision if you've got resentment you're not going to be able to see your relationship for what it is you're going to see it through that lens so we do a lot of processing um, emotions through the same exercises you learned at the retreat and it's really cool because it's um, a lot of these exercises are going to be partnered, not with your romantic partner, but partnered with other women who are going through the same thing, who can hold space for you. Um, it's really about seeing and being seen and taking full responsibility for your inner experience and how you show up. And um, I'm a big fan of changing your relationship without your partner even knowing what, what hit them. That's my favorite. I don't, I'm not a big fan of saying, I'm going to, I'm going to hire Natalie, the coach, to figure out how to live with you, you loser. <laughs> I don't know how to deal with you. I need a therapist to figure it out. You're so impossible to live with. My preference is that you gradually, slowly, subtly change and your partner wonders what's gotten into you. That's my favorite kind of change. It's so sexy, it's mysterious, and um, it's, a, it's the best kind. It's a humble kind. So, It'll be uh, just meeting a few times a month, and I'll have an online course that I'll be building out uh, at the same time to be watched in their own time. So if they're interested, um, they can join me for a few months. It's going to be so good. I have so many recommendations for working with Natalie, and, and everything that you share is incredible. And I'm going to, of course, put the link in the show notes. Thank you so, so much. You are amazing. I had so much fun. My cheeks hurt from smiling. <laughs> and thank you, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me and listening to this episode. If you liked it, please make sure to leave me a review so that more beautiful humans can get to this podcast and subscribe to the show. And please do share it with a friend who would benefit. And I always love to hear from all of you on Instagram. So visit me there at marina.y.t. I share really awesome content and would love to hear your comments about the episodes. Until next time, I love you so much and I appreciate you. Have the most beautiful day.